Blog Talk Radio. Pugilistic linguistics, check out the 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 pugilistic linguistics. What's happening, y'all? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Pugilistic Linguistic Show. I am your host, Michael Foster, the voice of reason in an unreasonable world. And I'm back with y'all on another Wednesday afternoon. I think I kind of like this time frame right here. It's, it's when my, I'm picking the freshest, just leaving work, not the middle of the night, that kind of thing. But again, welcome to, to another dose of madness from the madman. Before I get started, always, like I say, go out to iTunes, download the older podcasts, download this one. They will be out there for your listening pleasure. Pass it around to the masses, whatever. So... As I start every episode with Tom Watch, your president, what is he up to this week? Well, this week he has been in rare form with the repeal. I guess I don't know if repeal is the right word, but repeal of an immigration policy acronymed DACA, D-A-C-A, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. That has been repealed by the Trump administration in an act universally treated or spoken of as this unusually cruel. Basically, DACA allows children of illegal immigrants to file for visas in like two-year renewable periods, like work permits almost. it's, It's a mechanism to get them to stay in this country while they work on a method of citizenship, if that's ultimately how it goes. Eight hundred thousand, roughly, people are affected by this act, brought over as children through no fault of their own, and grown up in this country. The vast majority of them hold down jobs, are productive citizens. Uh, Let me get this right, because I read this earlier today. By research, they say that the wages and labor force participation of DACA eligible immigrants, uh, increased wages, reduced the number of unauthorized immigrant households living in poverty, and increased the mental health outcomes for DACA eligible immigrants and their children. The gist of it basically being if you make people less afraid of taking advantage of services, the overall health of those people generally increase. Now, I'm partially conflicted about this because I do have a thing about illegal immigration. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I have a feeling about that. But I also think 
that the American citizenship system is deeply flawed. Deeply flawed from the standpoint of it's almost as if America is in the business of citizenship. Of course, being a natural-born citizen, born in Memphis, Tennessee, I don't know the citizenship path, ins and outs. I don't have to walk it. But I've I've heard multiple thousands of dollars, up into the five digits almost, along with citizenship class and all that stuff, which is actually necessary, which I'm cool with. I just have a problem with, if you tell a, a, a dude from... El Salvador, let's say. He may have grown up in the midst of strife, turmoil in his country or whatever. Venezuela, you know, any of those countries that are actively in conflict down there. And you tell them they need to come to the United States illegally and you got to pay us $25,000 for a path to citizenship. I kind of know what their response is going to be. Either I stay here in my home country and potentially get me and my family killed or sneak into the United States because I ain't got 25 grand. Now, I don't know. Again, I, uh, there maybe should be a fee and all that stuff. You know, I don't know. But what I do know is citizenship should not be a hardship which is pretty much what the heart of the DACA policy is you bring your family over your children grow up here they become American or Americanized and now we're going to send them back President Barack Obama said this is an unusually cruel decision and it's a political one this is not about public safety regardless of how they try to spin it this is not about terrorism or whatever this is not about this is truly not about illegal immigration this is about politics this is a political decision by a man who was too chicken shit to come out and say it himself so he sends Jefferson Beauregard Sessions to make this speech for him This is about politics. This is about placating the people that put him in office. The red hat wearers, I call them. This isn't about the immigrants themselves because your president said he put, he, he put two conditions on it. He's going to delay it for six months to give Congress a chance to come up with something better, which we all know the answer is going to be. And then he said that he will revisit this in the future. I've also read rumblings out of the White House that basically say he didn't really realize the deep ramifications of what he was trying to implement, which is probably par for the course with him. He doesn't realize the law, the concept of law, the law of unintended consequences. He doesn't get it. He doesn't have the, the, the mental acuity to faithfully execute the powers of that office that he was elected to. 
So what ultimately comes of this act? I don't know. I don't know. I know Congress is not going to do anything because Congress has no incentive to. We can't. We see. See, we can't appeal to people's sensibilities when they are bereft of soul, when they are bereft of a conscience. You cannot reason with those people. You can't say, "Oh, you can't do that to certain people. That's not right." Right is not a part of the vocabulary. These people are bereft of character. So again, what will happen to this act, I don't know. It remains to be seen. But this man has proven time and again to be unnecessarily cruel. Like David Gergen said last night, who was a strategist for Republican and Democratic uh, presidents in the past. He is basically hanging a sign on the White House that says, if you're not white, you're not expressly well. He's, David Gergen said that. If you aren't white, you aren't welcome. Or as Chris Rock put it, as Chris Rock put it in, a, in, a, in a comedy special, if it's all white, it's all right. That is what the White House, the administration is saying to anyone of color in this country. So I'll keep an eye on this and see where it goes. But right now, that is late on, latest on his plate. On to today's topic. Bastardizing the black family. Now, while this might sound like a general topic, I've written this or I've created this in, 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 in response or in relation to one t- one family in particular. And if anybody that follows me on Facebook or on, the, uh, on my page, you know I've railed against this cat a few times. LeVar Ball, father of the number two draft pick by the Lakers, Lonzo Ball, father of two other blue-chip high school and college prospects, all-around media darling, gadfly, failed college basketball player, wannabe businessman, LeVar Ball. I speak to him and his public shenanigans as an indication of how far the notion of the black family has fallen. Now, let me qualify and say I have no idea what he does behind closed doors. I'm not going to act like I do. I'm not going to pretend like I'm in that man's living room daily. But what I am going to do is use his publicly accessible persona, a persona that he himself has cultivated, and extrapolate that to child-rearing and other things. This is, this is admittedly a perilous way that I'm treading, 
but something tells me I'm not that far off. LeVar Ball in the past 12 months has become the poster boy, poster child, poster man, whatever, of a narcissistic helicopter parent. Narcissistic from the standpoint of everything he seemingly does out in the public eye is self-aggrandizing. It is look at me. Everything he does seems to be living vicariously through his children. Now, see, this is deeper than being proud of your kids or guiding them along the way and making sure they tread this path correctly because these are high-profile kids. This is something other than that. This is living vicariously through your children to reclaim a fame that you thought you should have had and never got to. You can see the smirks on his face when he's saying something super provocative because he knows that gets in his next television appearance. And then he leaves and I speak to Lonzo right now because he's the one that hit the NBA. Now, I'm sure LaMelo and LaMarcus and whoever hell else is in his family is coming next. But he, he puts himself out there as the story and then allows his child to clean up the mess. By all accounts, Lonzo Ball is a good kid whose father will not get out the way. Now, I have had multiple conversations, arguments, whatever you want to call them with people, because Lonzo Ball, no, not Lonzo, LeVar Ball. Yeah, I think that's the father. I get all names confused. LeVar is being deified almost as the quintessential black father because he's in the household and look what he's doing for his kids and you know he's this businessman he's this and he's that you know marketing his kids his uh, Lonzo shoes for $500 a pair who you selling them to my kid ain't gonna get none of those I can't afford that I'm gonna raise hell when Jordan's $150 Lonzo don't even wear his own shoes why the hell am I going to buy it? LaMelo, I think, is the next one coming. And Lonzo, I keep saying Lonzo, LaVar said uh, within the last couple of weeks that he's going to put a shoe out for him, his NCAA eligibility be damned. Think about that. In the effort to be Phil Knight, you will risk your child's eligibility in college. Now, whether he does or not is a different animal, but he said that's what he's interested in. That's not a father. It's not father shit. See, uh, the black household is so, the black family is so fragmented that this is what passes as a role model because he's in the house. 
I submit to you that just being in the house is not enough. Just being around ain't enough. Again, I'm going to qualify. I don't know what he does behind closed doors. So, again, this makes this a precarious situation that I'm talking about. But taking the, 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 the public image that he has called for himself, being in the household ain't enough. I submit to you that while you're there, do something. Instill something. Don't be a clown. Don't make your kids have to explain your behaviors. Don't start the war behind your son. Don't have your son on WWE Raw calling people the N-word. No child of mine is going to do that in my presence. Oh, he's just having fun. Ain't nothing fun about that. Being there is not enough. I'm a father. I, I may not be the best, but I try. I want to instill something in my child that she can use when she hits the real world. Remember, when you're a father, you're a mother, you're turning these adults, you're turning these humans out on the world to either inflict pain or have pain inflicted on them if you don't do it right. The black family is in crisis. And that's why when a guy like LeVar Ball becomes a role model, it sickens me. Because we are so anxious to have something or have something to celebrate that we we don't demand better. Somebody had had the nerve to call me out of my name because I had the gall to point that out. And I'm self-hating. I'm this. I'm... No, I submit to you that me requiring or wanting something better for my people is an act of love. The fact that you won't take any half-assed thing off any black man and would demand better doesn't mean you hate him. It means you love him because you know there's more there. I submit to you, being there is not enough. Be there. Do something. You're turning these people out into the world. So if you give a damn about them, take care of them. Lonzo Ball might turn out to be a great ball player. He may even turn out to be a better human. But the fact is, His dad doesn't seem to be helping him along this way. This this sounds like it might be in spite of. Be a father. Ed O.G. said it. Be a father to your child. The black family is in crisis. I grew up in a single, uh, single parent household. Most of my friends grew up in single parent households. And we turned out okay in spite of. That is not the ideal way to do it. 
Thankfully, I had uncles. I had, you know, male father figures in my life that took turns guiding me along the path. Thankfully, everybody ain't got that. And then when you have a father in the house, like LeVar, he's a clown. He's an absolute clown who revels having the microphone shoved in his face so he can do some more clowning. I don't know how good of a businessman he is. I don't know what these shoes are going to look like, but I mean, how many times have you seen a strong black family on television? We got Blackish. Love that show. Topical. But what else we got? You got power? Well, I mean, what else we got? And I'm legitimately thinking about it as I'm talking, and I can't come up with anything. We had the Cosby's growing up. Say what you want about Bill and his personal life. His show was a benefit to upper-middle-class black people who went to college raising their children with values and morals. Again, damn what Cosby does in his personal life, that's his business. I submit to you the 70s were almost the best time for black families on television. We haven't had a real one, like I said, until Blackish came along. We don't even see images of a strong black family. So we latch on to any old thing that smells like it. Demand more. And this isn't just about LeVar Ball. This is about our day-to-day. Again, I'm a father. I'm not perfect. I do the best I can. I try. I fail sometimes. But I try. Be a father. The black family is in crisis. We're at a crossroads here. We could celebrate mediocrity. We could celebrate just being there. We could celebrate anything, or we can demand more of ourselves, of our community, of the people that portray themselves out there. We can demand more. And that's what we're supposed to do, because that's the ultimate self-love, when you don't accept any old thing. It's not hating. Common said, uh, uh, all that stuff you pop to it, I ain't relating. If I don't like it, I don't like it. It don't mean that I'm hating. Just because I don't like it don't mean I'm hating it. Demand better. That dude ball is a clown. And somebody needs to get in his ear and say, dude, you're probably doing it more harm than good. Because quiet as it's kept, DeAndre Fox got in uh, Ball's butt in the NCAAs. And I bet you good green money, they wanted to stick it to him extra because his dad keep running his mouth. 
Now, real quick before I go, I'm going to leave that go. I'm going to let that marinate for a while. But real quick before I go, Jason Whitlock, previous columnist for the Kansas City Star, used to be on ESPN, uh, now is on Fox Sports 1. I used to follow him in his previous stops because at a, at a time in life, he was one of the few black journalists that were willing to tackle true issues from his sports column. And it was really topical. It was really good. I don't know what the hell happened to him. I used to follow him on Twitter. I used to follow him on Facebook. I used to watch his shows. I used to read his articles. He has completely cooned out to the point to where he is borderline sickening. Yesterday, well, first of all, his disdain for Colin Kaepernick and everything Colin stands for is well documented. Yesterday, he had someone dress up like Kaepernick and hold up a fist in a mocking way to to illustrate a point that he was trying to make. What's even stranger about it, the guy he had doing it was Kid from Kid and Play. I don't even know how that dynamic happened, but I'll get to that in some other time. And that disturbed me more than anything that Jason Whitlock has done to this point. And he has said some really, really odd stuff. Malcolm X said, we have got to remove the inner enemy. We have got to remove the inner enemy from our community, physically, metaphorically, whatever. There are a host of black people that the proletariat, the white establishment, the regular establishment, ain't got to be white. The establishment shoves microphones in their face because they know these folk will rail against whatever topic is hot today, Colin, protests, whatever. And some of our real icons are starting to slip, for lack of a better word. Jim Brown, it's my country. You don't disrespect the flag. Wait a minute. You were the main activist in the 60s. I distinctly saw a picture of you with Lou Alcindor and Muhammad Ali and Kurt Flood and cats like that protesting, meeting, warrioring. Now you wouldn't disrespect the, the national anthem? The random NFL folk that they shove microphones in their face to get LaShawn McCoy. When's the last time they interviewed LaShawn McCoy for anything? But now, since he has an opposing view of a hot-button issue that the establishment don't like, now he's a pundit. We have got to start realizing what they're trying to do to us. They're driving wedges. We've got to realize it. I'm going to let this marinate a little bit more, and I'm going to revisit this in the next few days. 
I might drop a surprise podcast on it when I get my thoughts in order. But we have got to remove the inner enemy. Or people just need to learn to keep their mouths closed if they don't like it. You don't agree? Fine. Don't agree, but keep your mouth closed because it's bigger than you. Anyway, I think I've been all over the map today. I think I've said a few things. Let me get on down, y'all. And I'm going to say this to you in closing, as I always do. Take care of yourselves because you all you got. And that's becoming apparent more and more each day. Peace.